All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, we're going to dismiss our kids for their amazing talent teaching. Miss Rebecca's back there. You know, there's one thing I know this morning. When we come into a room and we ask God to speak to us and we open up his word, he is faithful to speak to us. And I think he's going to do it this morning because uh, we serve a faithful God. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 19. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the parable of the ten minas. Okay, it's a parable of Jesus. He's going to show us his purpose and the business for which he is about. And in that, we're going to see our purpose in the business that we should be about. We're going to tackle some really hard questions. And I want to, I want to jog your memory and get us to remember the context for which, where we are uh, in Luke, and I want you to fill in the blank here. Blank was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Zacchaeus. Okay, uh, Hadley, my four-year-old, she actually learned about Zacchaeus this week, and she came home singing, Zacchaeus was a weak little man. A weak little man was he. And I said, you know what? You're, you're probably right. So uh, I was thankful for that. But leading up to the story uh, in chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, this is really important, and I don't want us to, to, to breeze over it because we see this divine encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus, and it sets the stage for who and why Jesus had come. So I want to break down the story of Zacchaeus. This is in chapter 19. Jesus is coming into Jericho. He's crowded around. People are crowded around him. Jesus is kind of a big deal. You got Zacchaeus here, who is a tax collector, and he's not looked uh, too highly upon Tax collectors were people who stole, uh, and they were collecting money for the oppressor, for Rome, so people did not like the tax collector. But Zacchaeus, uh, being a wee little man that he was, uh, wanted to see Jesus, see who this Jesus guy was. And so we all know the story. He climbs up into a tree, and as Jesus is walking down the road, crowded by people, uh, Jesus looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, because I'm coming to your house today. And in that unveils the types of people that Jesus would associate himself with. Not only associate himself with, that he would radically love. Okay? And so you got Zacchaeus who ends up, uh, through that love and grace, repents of his sin and ends up giving back four times uh, the money he had stolen from people. Look at verse 9 in, in chapter 19. It says, Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus lays out his purpose. He lays out his concern. It wasn't for the people that thought they were well. It was for the sick. He looks at Zacchaeus and says, I've come for the outcast. I've come for people just like you. Just like us. I love that story because uh, it paints a crystal clear picture of how Jesus works. He does not come and condemn Zacchaeus. No, he comes and lavishes him with grace and love. Side note, in this encounter, it really shows me, and it should show you this morning, that law does not change people. Grace does. Grace changes people. So before we go guns blazing into situations to call people out in their sin, I want you to remember and understand Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. 
He sat with him. He ate with him. He loved him. I want us to think about all the times that someone has cold called us out on our sin and exchanged us. I'd argue that it's not many times. And Jesus, he wants to make this crystal clear to the people around him, especially those guys who have this I deserve it mentality. Okay, so he's rocked Zacchaeus' world with grace and forgiveness, and he looks around, he's in, he's in Zacchaeus' house, he looks around, and he says, gather around, everyone, my disciples, all you people who are judging me right now for being in this house, I want you to come in. I want to I tell you a story, okay? And it puts us in, in verse 11, okay? We're going to read this whole thing, okay? Chapter 19, verse 11. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. Verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he uh, summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. And then verse 18, the second came and said, Master, your mina has made five mina. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. Verse 22, he told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected the interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who does not have even what he does have, will be taken away, but bring here these enemies of mine who do not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Let's pray. Jesus, faithful Lord, we're asking you to open up our ears and our hearts to your word. Would you penetrate, penetrate us with the gospel this morning, Lord? Show us. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to roll through this, and we're going to break this down verse by verse, so they'll, they'll, they'll be up on the screen. Starting with verse 11, let's kind of clarify what the story is all about. So you got Jericho, he's coming into Jericho, which isn't uh, very far from Jerusalem. And as he gets closer to the city, the disciples are, they're expecting him to reveal himself as the Messiah. Everybody is. They, they want this political savior of Israel to reveal himself. And they're nearing the time of the Passover. So if you can imagine, there's this expectancy of the Messiah. It's ripe. And in Jerusalem, you got numbers of two million people 
coming into the town, uh, into the city for Passover. So th- this idea of the Messiah coming, it's just, it's ripe. They're expecting it. In their minds, the Messiah would come and save them from their sins and conquer their oppressors, which was Rome. That's what they want the Messiah to look like. You got Jesus coming in. Here's his mission statement, which looks a little different. Looks a little different. He says, I'm here to seek and save the lost. And Jesus, he begins the story. And he warns his disciples that he is leaving and will return again. And before the kingdom came in full glory, uh, this is what I want you to do while I'm gone. Let's look at verse 12 through 13. I want to break down the characters in this, okay? So you got the nobleman or the prince who is Jesus. You got the servants who are us, believers. You got the far off country, which is heaven. And you got his return, which is going to be on earth. So you got the nobleman. He hangs out 10 mina, which is like three months wages. And he gives one to each servant. Each receiving an equal amount an equal opportunity and equal potential, okay, for impact. Because while the master's away, he's going to be receiving his kingdom, and there's going to be an expectation for his servants to do business with what I've given you. Carry out the business of the, of the master and do it to the utmost. Because one day, the master's going to be coming back. He's going to come back, and he's going he's to want to know what you've done. What have you done to advance what I've given you? Okay, so we've got to ask the question this morning. What is the business of Jesus? What is the business? Okay, well, we saw Jesus' mission statement. Jesus, he's in the business of saving, of saving. Okay, he came to save which was lost. Matthew 28, 18 through 19, we see that picture of go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so discipleship, building the kingdom. You know the one thing that's going to last? Have you guys ever thought about this? What is the one thing that's going to last? It's people. It's people. It's relationships. Jesus is in the business of building into things that have eternal value, and he wants us to do the same where the return is worth far more than the time you put into it while you're here on earth. Okay, so if that's the business of Jesus, then what in the world are we given to achieve it? Okay, what are the mina that we've been given? Well, first off, if we're followers of Christ, man, we've been given salvation. If we have, if we've confessed with our mouth, God, our brokenness, and realized the chasm that lies between us, and we put our faith in the cross, and what Jesus has done for us, and that he rose from the dead, and he's coming back again, man, we get salvation from that. Got salvation? How about freedom from sin? We don't have to live this way anymore. We have a better way. We have an eternity to look forward to. How about the Holy Spirit? We've been given the Holy Spirit. Not only does he give us instruction and freedom, he gives us a a spirit that empowers us to achieve what he's calling us to achieve, the business. He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower that, to go there for, and invest in things on earth to produce fruit 
for the kingdom. And in the Holy Spirit, we see gifts and we see talents spring up within us. Because here's the cool thing. God gifts and wires us all differently and intentionally. So what are we going to do with it? Mike talked about our vision, okay, to exist, to engage the community, to equip the church and empower leaders. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, it starts with you. And it starts with me. How has God gifted you? What is your part to play? What is it? God wants our gifts and our talents to be aimed at eternity. Aimed at eternity because the business of Jesus is the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that's going to last. Let's continue, okay? Verse 14, uh, he talks about the unbelievers that hate him. Okay, he's got, he's got these guys in his realm that hate him. They don't want him to, him to rule over them. These are the unbelievers. You know, a few weeks ago, I preached about Jesus in the temple speaking to the religious people and telling them who the gospel was for and how they reacted. It's the same reaction here. When religious people find out that the gospel is for the Zacchaeuses of the world, the reaction is opposition. It's hate. And we see that here. The same people that are going to be laying palm branches on the ground and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, are quickly going to turn and say, crucify him. The same people, the same people, when they find out who the gospel is for. When, when you start living for things that last, start living for things that last in eternity, the world is going to look down on you. It will. For you to invest your time and resources into things that are dependent on a Savior coming back, you're going to experience hardship, persecution in some way. It's going to happen. Because one day the king is coming back, and the reward for our investment, it it outweighs all of that. But living that way, it, it, will, it will require risk. It will have consequences. And like we see here, he's met with hate. You know, it's, it's a matter of belief. Do you believe? You see, if we don't believe, if we don't believe this, then I can spin this however I want. I can go build my kingdom if I don't believe. But if I, if I do believe, hmm then I'm doing everything I can. Everything I can with the precious time that God has given me. Matthew 6, 20, where it talks about the treasure that will not rust, that thief cannot steal. I'm pouring everything into that if I believe. We have to make a choice. Let's look at 15 through 17 here. You got the first servant in in the master. He says these words of, of, well done. Don't we want to hear that? Church, when we get to heaven, don't we want to hear that? God say to us, well done, faithful servant. We've got this picture of the master coming in and he's judging the servants, okay? So he's judging them. And we don't want to get confused here. This is not a judgment of salvation. 
Because the serv- these are servants of the master. These are believers. They're followers of Christ. What is being judged here is not the condition before God. Christ has already accomplished that. Okay? The cross was good enough. Okay? This is the judgment of, of the profit of your life for the master's benefit. There's going to be two judgments. Okay? I want you to hear this. There's one for the follower of Christ, and there's one who rejects Christ. And here, we're talking about uh, 2 Corinthians 5 judgment, where in verse 10 it says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged, when uh, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. This is a judgment of our reward, okay? So everything you've ever done for your glory and everything you've ever done for his glory. And in that judgment, everything you've done for yourself, it's just going to wither away because it won't last. It can't last. Mm, but the things that we've done for his glory, they're going to be rewarded is what Scripture's telling us. And, and this should help us clarify really bad teaching, okay, really confusing teaching about salvation and rewards and we need to be clear on this. Our salvation does not depend on working for God, but resting in what Christ has done. Isn't that good news? Now, rewards, and that's something different. Rewards do not depend on that. It doesn't depend on what Christ has done. It actually depends on what you're going to do while you're here on earth, with your ability, with your gifts that you've been given for God's glory. Listen to what commentaries say. It is a misunderstanding of scriptural revelation to conclude that because God has saved us by his grace, we need to do nothing but lie back and wait for heaven. Such behavior constitutes irresponsible stewardship that Jesus Christ will punish by withholding a reward. In view of what lies ahead for us, we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain for the Lord. And you know what's beautiful about those rewards? We see in scripture this picture of crowns in heaven. And if you look in Revelation 4, it paints this picture of the saints throwing the crowns at the feet of the Savior. You know what that tells me? Even in our reward, Jesus is better. He's better. You got this first servant who comes in and he says, I invested my money well, a thousand percent. I got 10 more mina. He spent himself to multiply what God had given him. He lived life that looked foolish in the eyes of the world because he was living for things that had eternal value that would last. You know, I think about that kind of life, and I think about, uh, you know, people like Noah, you know, building this ark for a rain that had never even been seen before. You want to talk about living a foolish life? Those people thought he was foolish, but we all know how that story ends. Okay, how about, how about Rakshak, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, they got this choice. You can either die, you can burn, or you can bow before these idols. And they weigh the risk of their lives. And what's so amazing about that story is, is, is their response to King Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know, if God doesn't save us from the fiery furnace, 
He's still good, and this risk is still right. It doesn't change anything. I want, I want this statement to resonate with us this morning. I want it to kind of haunt us this morning. And it, and it goes like this. Following Jesus will always involve some type of calculated risk. It will always involve some type of risk. John Piper says this in this book back there. There's a couple copies back there for you. It says this. A choice lies before you. Either waste your life or live with risk. Either sit on the sidelines or get in the game. We are all tempted by the idea of security, the possibility of cozy Christianity with no hell at the end. But what kind of life is that really? It's a far cry from adventurous and abundant, from truly rich and really full. It's certainly not the heights and the depths Jesus calls us to. What does your life look like? You know, I, I reached out to our missionaries in Papua New Guinea, which is really cool because today is the same week five years ago that we sent the first team to go over there and build houses for our missionaries over there. But I, I reached out and I said, guys, why is it worth the risk? I mean, these guys are like superstars to me. Why is, this the, why is the risk worth it? You know what they said to me? They said, as they were praying about going to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, with family, with kids, and they're, they're weighing the risk. They said the risk was not in safety or security. The risk was in not going and not seeking the Great Commission and knowing what it would do for their lives. That was the risk. I thought that was so profound. Let's keep going. Look at verse 17, the master's reward. He says, hey, man, you worked so hard. Let me take a load off of you. Take a break. No, he doesn't say that, okay? Here we have this idea of how God honors being faithful in the little things. He blesses it with much. He doesn't give the servant a break. No, he gives him more work. He says, I'll give you 10 cities to be over, okay? When we are truly satisfied in the Lord, when we're walking and abiding in him daily, more responsibility is a good thing. It's a good thing. And him trusting us with more is a great reward, here on earth. Then you got verse 18 and 19. You got the second servant coming to play. And the second servant, he increases it by 500%. Okay? And I love how he places the ownership. He says, your mina, not mine, yours. I kind of love this guy a lot. Because I can relate to him. Because he does everything he can to multiply what he's been given. It's not as good as the first guy but he does everything he can, and God honors it accordingly. I think it's intentional. I think it's an intentional picture. We all have different gifts. We all have, 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 have different things in our life, and it's a good thing. We have different opportunities. We have different platforms. We have different amounts of influence, and it's a good thing. We're not meant to compare ourselves to servant number one. We're not meant to compare ourselves to the Billy Grahams of the world. And I think that's why servant number two is here, to, to show us we're all gifted differently, but purposefully and intentionally. You know, some of us are going to have influence over offices, over staff, over teams, over stadiums. Others of us, 
We're going to be, we're going to have influence over our living room, over our families. How are you loving your family? How are you loving your neighbor? You know, 10,000 people versus two people. Are you serving faithfully? Let's take this chunk here of 20 through 23. You got the third servant coming to play with his excuses and the master's response. You see, the third servant in the group, he chooses to do absolutely nothing. He chooses to do nothing with his money, and he takes the easy way. We know going out and investing is risky. We see that like in the stock market, it's risky. And honestly, it's risky to, to invest in things in eternity, but you know what the truth is? We're always gonna get a return when we do that. So what is the risk in that? You know, as you invest in people around you, you know, day to day, we may not see the fruit here, but I would argue that in that investment, there will always be growth. There will always be growth in that, no matter the outcome. Have you guys found yourself in the spot where the easiest solution is just not to do anything? You know, I guess you could say the easiest path is no path at all. You coast. I think, I think it's what a lot of us do. I think I've done this a lot. You know, I think that instead of making the hard choices, I just procrastinate. And the answer's made for me. I get to the point because the master's coming back. If I just wait long enough, I'm out of time. You know, maybe, maybe that was the MO of the third servant. Maybe he was a procrastinator. Maybe he waited and said, I'll invest it eventually. And then boom, the master's back and he wants to count for what you've been given. What do you have to show for? I think a lot of us tend to play it safe. You know you can play church safe? You can walk through your entire Christian walk with this artificial feeling of safety. Never ruffling feathers, you know, never making hard choices or asking hard questions or confronting sin, and you could totally miss it. Never growing, never really growing. And you know what? The truth in that is God will let that happen. He'll allow it. So you got to step back this morning and say, is that me? Am I just playing it safe? Am I just coasting? Because the gospel, Jesus, he, he calls his followers to go into the world and be about people. You know, I've heard it said that we are to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. Christ saved us that we would have a chance, that we could be something, that we could do something that matters that will last, a chance to pour our resources into an account that will never fade, that will never fade, that is guaranteed a return that would be foolish not to take. It's like the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13, where the guy finds a treasure in the field and he sells everything because he knows the worth of the treasure in the field. 
We'd be fools not to invest in it. Do we believe? Look how the third sermon he rationalizes. He calls the ruler a harsh ruler. Some translations say like a strong leader or, or a leader with strong character, with high standards. He knew he would come back for what was his. And the servant says, you're so great, I figured you wouldn't even need this. Which is really funny because his assessment is correct. He doesn't need it. I mean, he owns cities. He doesn't need his money, but he wants his servants to grow. He wants them to learn. But the servant, the third one, he totally misses it. He misses the opportunity. And the master even responds to the servant and says, bro, you could have just stuck it in the bank. You could have just stuck it in the bank. There wouldn't have even been any risk in that. And I could have come back and I could have collected the interest. You could have done something. And you chose to do nothing. He chose to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. And throw away every bit of the gift that was given. So I'm going to go back to that question. What kind of risk is involved in your faithful stewardship. What does the risk look like for you? I want to point out again that these servants are Christ's followers. The third servant, he's not someone being stripped of salvation. That's not the issue here. No, he's a follower of Christ that is missing it. He's missing out. He's missing out on the blessing that God wants to give him. Do you get it that you could be walking through life right now and God is calling you to do something and you're totally missing it? Surely God wouldn't let that happen. Surely he wouldn't let me miss it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, guys, that God will allow that because what he's done is he's given us his word to show us, to teach us, and to remind us. It is up to you to invest it. It's up to you. It's like my guy, Todd. Todd's the best three-point shooter in all the school, okay? And, and the coaches are after him. Man, Todd, you got to be on the team, bro. You got to be on the team. We need you. Todd, why won't you be on the team, man? Why won't you use your, your God-given gift to, to hit the rainmaker? And his response, I hate running. We can take the gift that God gives us and not even use it. We just hold on to it. The third servant, he thought the master was so great he didn't need help. Well, that isn't the issue. The issue, the issue isn't God needing our help. The issue is my need to help him. My need to be a part of what God is doing. God does not need you. God wants you. And I need him. What is it going to be? I want to remind you this morning, I want to encourage you that God loves using weak people. I think it's one of the big reasons we have this book, so we can see it. He loves using weak people. If you feel inadequate this morning, great, because he loves using that. You think you have nothing to offer? You think you have no gifts to share? 
Every servant was given an opportunity. Every one of them. Do not underestimate God because you cannot stop him. Your inadequacies, they can't stop him. Oh, man, I just can't figure out how to use this guy. He's giving me open heart, open hands, and I just don't know how to use them. It doesn't work that way. That's what he's asking for. You give that to him, he will use you in a mighty way, and your gifts will come out. Verse 24 through 26, the master's response, the master who gives and he takes away. You know, the gospel is all about what we don't deserve. And the master, he continues to bless the faithful. He loves, Jesus loves rocking people's perspective. And remember, remember who he's in the room with here. Remember who he's sitting with. He wants them to understand the calling of faithful stewardship, especially why he's gone. Do the business of the master until he returns. Are we doing the business of the master? In the verse 27, we see the foreshadowing of that second judgment we talked about. The second judgment of complete separation from God for forever, for eternity. I want to close this morning with, with some questions I want us to think about. The one being, what is the calculated risk that you are taking to follow Jesus and to use your gifts? What is the calculated risk? You know, is it your time? You know, some of us in this room may be, God may be calling us to leave this place and go to the other side of the world to reach the nations. Is it your time? Or maybe it's short-term missions. I know CR has an awesome trip they're going on soon. Maybe it's short-term mission. Maybe you need to take a week of your vacation and use it to serve people. Is it time? Or how about this? Is it your giving? Guys, there's people in this room who have never experienced the joy of giving. You've never experienced it. And I want to challenge you this morning. Take the calculated risk of being a generous Christ follower. Take the risk. It is worth it. It is a risk that I believe God is telling us to take. And those two things, our time and our money, I think are the defining treasures of our heart, our checkbook and our calendar. You want to see somebody's heart, look at their checkbook and look at their calendar. What about your reputation? Are, are you going to be a modern-day Noah? Are you going to be labeled? Maybe at work? Is it your family, your comfort? What investments need to be reevaluated? In light of knowing the great return that is in store for Christ followers, how then should we live? How then should we live? And finally, very simply, do you really believe Jesus is coming back? Do you really believe it? Do you believe the master is returning? Because if you do, if you really believe that, it changes everything. It changes everything. 
We have to begin to become comfortable spending our time and our resources on the Zacchaeuses of the world. It's why Jesus came and, <clears throat> sorry, before he comes again, he's asking us to be about that kind of work. And we have to become comfortable with it because we have to live lives that look like we are waiting for something better. Jim Elliott, I don't know if you guys have heard that name before. Jim and Elizabeth Elliott were missionaries to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. This is back in the 50s. Well, Jim, he was martyred alongside four other missionaries trying to reach this people group with the gospel. All of them killed, all with families, to bring the gospel to these people who had never heard this is said that Jim Elliot was not a fool for going to Ecuador and knew the risks of going to this tribal group. Yet both Jim and Elizabeth Elliot counted the cost and knew the risk of not going was even greater. Listen to what Elizabeth says about the five guys, their lives were taken. She said, they went simply because they knew they belonged to God. Talking about these, this unreached group, they belonged to God because he was their creator and their redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly obey him. And that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation. You know, after Jim's death, Elizabeth, she ended up going back to this tribe with her daughter. And you know what happened? This is to, <laughs> to the same tribe that took her husband's life. She goes back and the gospel penetrates. It penetrates the hearts of this tribe and they come to know Christ. You want to talk about a picture of the gospel? A picture of forgiveness. Jim Elliot, he's known for this statement. Let this sink in and shift our perspective this morning. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So I ask you again this morning, church, because it demands a response. You will respond by the way you walk out of this building. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Do you believe it? There's going to be leaders in the back that are going to be able to pray with you over to my left. If this is the first time that you're hearing about the gospel for the first time, you may have heard it, but today you're really hearing it. We want to pray with you. We want to show you what it looks like to live a life like this. Or maybe this morning you've been walking with Jesus for years, and today you're hearing it for the first time, what he's calling you to do. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. I stuck little bookmarks in the chairs. We may have to spread them out for empty chairs. And it has a question on there. You, you're going to answer it today. It says, do I believe? I stuck the date on there and everything because I want you to put that in your car, put that in the book you're reading, whatever it is, because I want you to answer that question. Yes or no? Do you believe Jesus is coming back? And if, if you do this morning, I want to follow it up with this question. How does your life and investment show it? 
How does it show it? How does what you do and say look any different from the people out there that are good? How does it look any different? Seriously, think about it. I had to think about it a lot this week. How does it look any different? Because there has to be a clear distinction for those who are living for this life and those who are living for the next. There has to be a clear distinction. What is it? And I want to leave you with one practical step I want you to think about this week. Just think about it. Okay, if, if we know, we've learned this morning what the business of Jesus is, and it's to reach the nations with the gospel. So if we are supposed to be about that business, what does that look like for us? Well, we could go, it's one option, or we could maybe short-term it and, and go, or maybe, maybe our mission field is here. Maybe God is calling us here and around us. I know he is. But let me challenge you with this. If you are going to be called here, the NWA, to, to do missions and reach the world with the gospel and not to the ends of the earth, I think we need to be investing a large chunk of our money in sending those who are going to the ends of the earth. I want you to pray about that. And think about that this week. Because there are people that are trying to go. They're trying to be sent. And if we're going to stay here, we need to help send them. I want you to think about that this week. We need to help send them. Because church, there is no greater investment. That is an investment that will reap a return. So do you believe? I want you to take time. I want you to fill out that bookmark. And when you're ready... We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing together, okay? You guys pray with me. Jesus, we love you. God, we need your work in our hearts right now. In this moment, we surrender our everything to you right now because we believe. We believe you're coming back and we want it to change every aspect of our lives. We love you. Thank you for your patience and your grace with us, Lord. You're good to us. We offer all this to you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. You stay ready, okay?